You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Joe Gavallis with the Safe Senior Hour. Uh, We're going to have a good, interesting topic today here. Uh, We will... uh, Try to um, so so, uh, so today we're going to have we we seems to be have some little overplay here going on right now but we're going to have uh, uh, we're very fortunate today to have uh, Caroline Tippins the senior associate general counsel of the office of general counsel Tennessee Department of Health Nashville Tennessee here yes so. Um, we uh, we want to welcome you, Caroline. If you can hear me, um, thank you, Joe. I appreciate you having me. Oh wow, you're you, you're clear as can be. So we we appreciate that. Uh, but again, uh, I have met Caroline on several occasions, and and she is one of the people truly dedicated in government to help fighting uh, elder abuse in in uh, in many many uh, ways that 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 Tennessee. Um, uh, laws allow, and so with that, Caroline, can you just give me um, our, our audience a little background on yourself and uh, and your agency? Sure, absolutely, Joe. Once again, I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, as Joe said, my name is Caroline Tippins. I'm a senior associate general counsel for the Tennessee Department of Health. I've been with the Department of Health approximately seven years. And for the last six and a half years, I have primarily specialized in elder abuse, neglect, misappropriation, and financial exploitation arising from cases from licensed healthcare facilities and also against licensed practitioners. Um, I'm an administrative lawyer. I am not a criminal lawyer. So basically what I do is I work for the department and I litigate those cases of elder abuse arising in a licensed facility. So, for example, um, we have surveyors and investigators that work for us, and if they go out to a facility and find out that uh, deficient practices have occurred or that an elder has been abused in a licensed facility like a nursing home, uh, they will make that report to us, and basically I will go ahead and uh, pursue action both against the facility or if there's a licensed practitioner, the licensed practitioner as well. Right. Just for our listeners here, uh there are a few points I go over again as we discuss elder abuse. We we kind of put it in three different areas. One is physical, uh, two is financial, financial exploitation, and three is institutional. So I know in uh, talking with you that you you've seen all three types of abuses. And when you talk about licensed facilities, could you just tell the uh, our listeners? What what's your definition or some examples of them of licensed facilities? Because I'm sure, as you know, this goes all over the United States and all over the the world. And just some examples that 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 are are whether they're licensed or not. These are the type of facilities that seniors would be uh, 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 housed in. Absolutely. Well, in Tennessee, and I know it's different for Georgia, we license approximately 22 different facility types. So, for example, those facilities will include skilled nursing facilities, which are colloquially known as nursing homes, um, assisted care living facilities, which are similar to a nursing home but a lesser 
uh, standard of care. So basically, you've got the folks that are still able to ambulate and walk. Um, also, in assisted care living facilities, you may have some secure units for dementia patients, but generally, it's a lesser care patient acuity. Um, you've got people that are um, more ambulatory. Um, then you have your residential homes for the ages, which are a step down below um, an assisted care living facility. We also license end-stage renal dialysis centers. We license um, home health agencies, direct medical equipment. Hmm. The home health agencies are probably going to be another big one that I think we'll probably talk about today, where that's usually where you have the skilled nurses going into the home and providing care um, to the individual or the loved one. We also license personal support service agencies, which are probably something that we may talk about today, too. And your personal support service agencies are going to be those individuals that are going to be like a caregiver that are going to be working in the home and helping with activities of daily living, like feeding and bathing and grooming. Well, well, there's a term that we've heard uh, that we've used here and, and heard by other uh, other uh, guests, and that's personal care homes. Uh, what? Uh, how does that relate in in your in Tennessee? Is there is there a, a, a right? So usually, a personal care home would probably be analogous to what we call a residential home for the age, okay. um, which is an RHA, um, and those are going to be your lowest care home, essentially. Um, they're going to be four or more individuals that are unrelated. They're supposed to be people that can administer their own medications right. and are able to ambulate on their own um, and require very little assistance. Um, but if there is assistance, there has to be a licensed person that is administering medications in those homes. Now, how does the state in Tennessee, how do you um, oversee these when you talk about are you, I know you talked about surveyors and, and uh, situations like that um, just can you give us just some general numbers of how many first of all how many um, uh, licensed facilities roughly that you all look at and how many surveyors you have well, off the top of my head, I want to say we have about 1,800 licensed facilities, wow. um, and we have surveyors that are in each uh, region of the state of Tennessee. Tennessee is a very large state, so we have uh, the western region, which is going to cover your, your Memphis areas, Jackson, Tennessee. Then you have the middle region, which is going to cover your larger cities like here in Nashville. Right. And then you're going to have your east Tennessee region, which is going to be all the way from Knoxville to Sevierville. Um, and we have surveyors that are in each of those regions, and the surveys work two ways. We have two different types. Uh, one is going to be your annual licensure survey, and that's where we come around on a certain schedule once a year on an unannounced visit. And then you have your complaint surveys where we get members of the general public, we get family members, we get like the long-term care ombudsman, adult protective services, people that are in facilities or just concerned about behaviors they see in facilities that file a complaint through our complaint intake unit. And those complaint surveys, um, we go out there and we investigate the complaints. So those are going to be an investigation of complaints. Right. Now, are these um, reports, uh, are they available to the, pub to the public when they're trying to make decisions what to do, or are they... Uh, you need an open records request, or I know some states you can go online, even though it doesn't give names and stuff. Uh, it gives you 
incidents and the findings, but it doesn't go into specific names of patients, of course, because of HIPAA. But do you have something like that in your state? Yes, absolutely. Um, you're exactly right. We never do give patient names. We always refer to patients as patient one or president number right. one or initials. Um, they are anonymous, and that you know, there's no dates of birth or anything generally listed in a in a survey. In Tennessee, your certified facilities are public record, whether they be an annual or complaint survey. Hmm. So, in other words, say for example, you're concerned about you might want to admit your mother to a skilled nursing facility. A nursing home. So you want to go online and look up and see, you know, whether or not they've had a history of deficiencies or quality of care issues. So you can go on our website and you can look up um, nursing homes and you can see their annual and complaint surveys. So your certified facilities like the nursing homes, the end-stage renal dialysis, the home health care facilities, all those types of certified facilities you can look up online. In Tennessee, Tennessee is a little bit different. You can look up the annual license survey for a state-licensed-only facility, which is going to be like an assisted care living facility and a residential home for the aged, but you cannot look up a complaint survey because those are confidential uh, per state law. Right. But you can see their annual surveys. I, I think uh, we're about to see a, a new movement here, and I'm certainly not here promoting any any newspaper or whatever it is, but the the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I don't know if this comes up on the video, but um, as just starting a statewide and um, their investigation uh, from, a, from, a, from the press point of view into um, senior care industry in Georgia, and it's going to be a series of it, and I'm sure other, other states and other cities and other media will be looking into it, but um, some of the findings are, are very devastating, and I'm sure um, when you're when people are caring for their loved ones and thinking where to place them, there's a lot of things to look at and make decisions on um, how how you go about it. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree, and I think that that's one of the things that, like you said, you should look on the website if you have access to the internet. Um, you can also go on the Department of Health website and look and see for us in the state of Tennessee which facilities are licensed and it will also show whether or not that facility has had disciplinary action. So in other words, um, when we discipline a facility, that order is public record and there's something called either a consent order or an agreed order or even the findings from a trial that you can see online. Um, and so if you were to look up a particular facility, you could go on there, you could click the link, you could see the disciplinary action, and you could actually read a copy of that order. So uh, in Tennessee, you have access both to the survey results and to any disciplinary action that the facility may have had. Well, I think that I think we would find that in the United States probably uh, in almost every state. Wouldn't you think there would be some kind of public filing a record in, in every state. I mean, obviously, you've been to more conferences and interact with more of your state, uh, um, your fellow state uh, officials, but um, it's my understanding that that's pretty common in the United States, isn't it? Yes, it is. I, I've seen it for other states. I know Georgia and several other places 
have websites where you can look up the facilities. Another resource would be, um, obviously, in Tennessee, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about this too, we have the Abuse Registry, right. which is the registry of persons who have abused, neglected, misappropriated, or exploited the property of a vulnerable person. So any individual in the state of Tennessee can go to the website and look to see whether the individual that they're looking at maybe as a private caregiver has been accused or has been substantiated against uh, to have committed abuse, neglect, or misappropriation. Um, also, on our website, you're able to look up licensed healthcare practitioners. So, for example, your doctors and your nurses, pharmacists, dentists. Uh, and you're able to go on our website and look at them as well. And you're also able to see if they've had any public disciplinary action against their license. Well, I, so that's all public record, and that's a great resource, too, for any individual that's just looking at a healthcare provider and trying to make a decision um, about whether or not they either want to hire that individual or even go see them as a practitioner. Well, well we certainly, uh, uh, I mean, that, that information is public, and people should certainly take advantage of it. Well, we're going about to take our first break here, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the abuser registry in Tennessee, since it, I believe, is the gold standard throughout the United States here. So with that, uh, we'll take our first break on the Safe Senior Hour. and baby boomers email maga45tag at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. Know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Neal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45MAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45TAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis. Our, we're very honored today to uh, have a, a, a guest on the line, uh, Caroline Tippins, who is the Senior Associate General Counsel of the uh, Tennessee Department of Health out of the Office of the General Counsel. And again, thank you, Caroline, for uh, agreeing to be on and and, uh, um, and telling us about how Tennessee helps to fight um, um, 
uh, senior abuse um, of of, uh, of the elderly here. Um, we talked last segment on just some background about the, the department, but we started to address the issue about the abuser registry. Uh, could you go on into a little more detail? Because, uh, as I said, it is the gold standard in the United States right now. Um, well, thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, Tennessee, you're right, does have one of the broadest registries in the nation. Um, and I think, honestly, I'll give a little bit of background here about how this right. occurred. Um, back in the 1980s, uh, sort of like what Atlanta is seeing right now, there was a series of exposés in the paper about uh, institutional issues with licensed facilities. And as a result of that, Tennessee passed legislation to broaden its abuse registry. Federal law requires, um, and that's 42 CFR 483.13, if anybody is really interested in becoming a legal nerd and looking this up, (laughs) (laughs) it requires that each state keep a registry of any certified nurse aides who have uh, abused, neglected, misappropriated, or exploited the property of a vulnerable person in a licensed healthcare facility, specifically a skilled nursing facility. And in the 1980s, the legislature in Tennessee broadened this statute in state law to make it applicable to any person in the state of Tennessee who has abused, neglected, misappropriated, or exploited a vulnerable person in the state of Tennessee. So basically what this has resulted in is not only do we have certified nurse aides on the abuse registry in Tennessee, but we have people on the abuse registry that are anywhere from a maintenance person to a visitor to a son-in-law that abused his vulnerable um, elderly mother-in-law in a nursing home um, to caretakers. So it's very broad. Um, it includes licensed people such as nurses. Uh, it basically... Anytime we have a complaint, the Department of Health has jurisdiction in licensed healthcare facilities and on licensed practitioners. So anytime we have surveyors who substantiate from the course and scope of their investigation that abuse, neglect, or exploitation have occurred, they can make a referral to the abuse registry. After that, um, the case coordinator sends out a notice of intent to place the individual on the abuse registry. They can either contest the allegation, which would mean that they would have a trial, or they can settle and agree to place. Um, so after that, if they want to contest the allegation, we're responsible for giving them a trial, during which a judge will either substantiate the allegation and place their name on the abuse registry, or they will not. I will also say, in Tennessee, we have multiple agencies that place on the abuse registry, uh, which include Adult Protective Services and the Department of Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. So those are going to be your facilities um, that license individuals uh, that take care of people who are developmentally delayed. We also have the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services that places individuals on the re- uh, on the registry as well, and those are going to be people like your psychiatric techs where you've got abuse in mental health facilities. Um, and Adult Protective Services also places people who are just like caretakers of elderly people on the registry. So we have a myriad of sources that are all placing on this registry other than the department, um, but we are the repository, and we do keep the registry per state law. Do you have a uh, estimate of how many people are on the registry? I know it fluctuates. Some people come and go. Um, 
But uh, is there, can can you tell our listeners roughly how many are on the registry? Yes, I, the last time I heard, it was about twenty two hundred people were on the registry. And I would also like to add that you can also have a court that places an individual on the registry. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, an individual might be commit, convicted of committing elder abuse, um, and that's a, a, a state felony, a Class D felony in Tennessee. So as a result of their conviction for elder abuse, they are placed on the abuse registry via criminal disposition, and that's permanent placement on the abuse registry. So we also get reports from the county and the state courts as well uh, for those individuals who have committed such offenses. Now, what I like about the Tennessee registry, which is really great, is I'm a citizen sitting out here in uh, Murfreesboro, for example, I'm about to try to uh, hire somebody uh, for my mother who is uh, who's living alone, and but she needs a caretaker. The term registry is just a term where you can go check and see whether the person you're hiring um, meets any of your criteria. Could you just go over how how a a a simple um, check would take place and what it might show? Sure, absolutely. Um, Our registry is pretty user-friendly, so you can do it one of two ways. You can type in the person's first and last name into our search box on the website, and then just hit enter, and that'll tell you if we have an individual with that name. Now, if you use, like, for example, say Lee as a last name, there might be, you know, 23 Lees. There might be, you know, 23 Smiths. But if you have a Social Security number on that individual, you can also type in the Social Security number and hit enter, and that'll give you the, the actual person that has that Social Security number that's on the abuse registry. Right. And, and what, what does the um, uh, person who's looking, what, what does he or she, she see when they put in and get a hit on, you know, on, you know X, X John Doe? What, what, the, what comes up? Yes, absolutely. It gives the person's first and last name. It gives the date of placement on the abuse registry. Hmm. It gives the offense. So, for example, the offense would be either abuse, neglect, misappropriation, or exploitation, or placement via criminal disposition, which would be a court order. And then it will give the placing agency. So, for example, if it was the Tennessee Department of Health, it would say that. So, basically, you could look somebody up and you could see, oh, okay, I see this person QXYZ Lee is on the registry. They were placed uh, by the Department of Health on, you know, 9-11-2017, and they were placed for misappropriation. So that's going to tell you that that person was substantiated by our department as committing an offense, which would be misappropriation. And when I say misappropriation, that usually means theft. Right, right. So that would be, if I'm sitting there again in Murfreesboro, I would say, well, I don't particularly want to gamble on this person, or um, or you, it gives you a pointer where you can check for more information, correct? Absolutely, and I think it is a useful tool, especially if you're a person who is wanting to hire someone maybe to sit with a parent. Um, maybe they don't require going into a facility just yet, and you just want to hire a private duty caretaker, that is the first place I absolutely would check. Um, I myself have elderly parents, and, you know, before I have my dad go into a facility or anybody that I know is going to come in contact with him, I certainly check the registry, and I always look up a practitioner to see if they have, you know, 
disciplinary action on their license. I just think that that's a smart thing to do. For our listeners who would like to see what a registry looks like and and to get a flavor hands-on of what's really going on in terms of, of the, this this great source of information, and again, it's basically just for the state of Tennessee, correct? Mm-hmm. Could, could you give a website or how somebody goes on it? Yes, absolutely. You can certainly look on our website, um, and you can it's even easily available by Google, which right. is uh, the Tennessee Department of Health. Um, you can find, uh, you can Google licensed practitioners. You can also find it as, let's see, where is it? You can also find it as Googling the abuse registry. So if you go to our website, um, it's health licensure. You go on to health licensure, and it'll give you the ability to search the licensed practitioner, healthcare facility, and the abuse registry. And you can click, uh, click on the abuse registry, and it'll take you directly to it. Um, and, Joe, I will actually send you links to the abuse registry in our website so that you can go on there and provide that to your listeners. Okay. Well, that would be great. And, again, every state is, is if they're involved with, with a federal program, they're involved, they're required to do one for CNAs, correct? Absolutely, yes. Um, you will, every state has a, some sort of a registry. Um, I know for Alaska, for example, you can go onto Alaska's website. You can also look up and type in the name of a CNA and find it that way. Um, some states, they fall under the healthcare facilities offices. Right. Some states fall in different criteria. I know in other states, CNAs are regulated uh, with, like, the Board of Nursing. So it just depends on how each state regulates. Okay. Um, but I think, generally speaking, you can always look for the term certified nurse aid, and that'll explain to you, or that should lead you in the right direction on their website. And, and if you could explain to our listeners, and like that person in Murfreesboro, in the uh, in the hierarchy of healthcare, what is a CNA? Uh, how, where do they fit in? Sure. Your certified nurse aides, um, those are individuals that have a certificate. It's usually a several-week-long course um, that can be provided either at a skilled nursing facility, a nursing home, um, or another entity program that is certified by the federal government. Basically, those are the folks that are going to be working with the loved one to do activities of daily living, for example, grooming, bathing, showering, Mm -hmm. toileting, feeding. Um, they're going to be the individual that you're, probably your loved one will have the most interface with because they'll be assisting, you know, changing with the diaper, helping them in the shower, those sorts of things. Um, they're also going to be perhaps people that can sometimes be dietary aids. So you might see them in the kitchens or in, of a residential facility, passing trays, um, those sorts of things. So if we had a this hierarchy, the next step... Uh, um, above would be what? So for your CNAs, um, like I said, those are going to be the people that are going to be sort of your care attendants. That's what sometimes they're called or caregivers in other states. Um, then your next step up in Tennessee, we have licensed practical nurses. Okay. Uh, and then above them, we have registered nurses. Okay. Um, so in the hierarchy of the facility, um, there are other people that are higher than certified nurses. Right. Well, listen, we're about to take our second break on the Safe Senior Hour today, and we will be back, and we're going to go through so for everybody to know what is the order here of people you might come in contact with 
when you're dealing with um, taking care of a loved one. So with that, we'll break for our second break of the Safe Senior Hour. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to our third segment of the Safe Senior Hour. Uh, And we always uh, remind everybody elder abuse does not report itself. Um, Today we're uh, very fortunate to have uh, uh, as our guest uh, Caroline Tippins, the Senior Associate General Counsel for the Tennessee Department of Health of their Office of General Counsel. And we've been having a, a, a very good discussion about how the state of Tennessee handles various issues and topics dealing with uh, elder abuse uh, throughout the state. And we were just discussed in the last uh, segment about their uh, registry. And we were going into to help people, our listeners, to go through the, the, the hierarchy of names and terms that they would see when they're being uh, asked to, to uh, deal with seniors in some facility or at their home. And so, Carolyn, welcome back. And, um, Caroline, and if, if you could go through on there your, uh, uh, again, the, uh, the hierarchy here of, and some definitions of what people do. Right. Um, so as I said before, certified nurse aides are going to be your people that help you with assistance with activities right. of daily living, grooming, bathing, toileting. Um, then you're going to have your licensed practical nurses. Those are going to be your folks that are passing medications, perhaps in the hallway. Mm. Um, they're going to be doing blood pressures, those sorts of things. Um, then you're going to have your registered nurses, which are going to be supervising most likely the licensed practical nurses and the certified nurse aides. Oftentimes, your registered nurses are going to be your uh, directors of nursing, your assistant directors of nursing. Um, and then above them, you're going to have your licensed nursing home administrator, mm-hmm. or you're going to have what they call the administrator or executive director. That's going to be the person that's overseeing the facility um, and will be in charge of administering the facility. Basically, they're over 
dietary, they're over nursing. They have to answer to the surveyors. They have to answer surveyors' questions when they come to the facilities about how the facility is being administered. They also are many times interfacing with loved ones. Many times you will also find your social workers in facilities as well. Um, if you've got a loved one in a nursing home, you're probably going to be familiar with the social worker because sometimes they're helping with care plans, sometimes they're interfacing with the family, trying to figure out what the residents' needs are, um, they're helping them uh, if they're maybe going to transition out of the facility, set up that plan in place if the person is going to be discharged or transferred to a facility or, or higher level of care. So you're going to see people like that. Um, you're also going to probably interface maybe at some point in time with a dietary manager or a dietary director. That's going to be the person that's going to be in charge of the, kit, uh, the facility's kitchen or the menu. Um, so sometimes if you've got a loved one in a facility, you might be discussing a menu with them, what the person is eating, their diet. Um, and, you know, there's a variety of people in all different roles in the facility. Mm-hmm. So there's often many times people that you'll come across. Sometimes you might even interface with the maintenance man in the hallway. Right. Um, you just never know who you might see in a facility. Well, let, let me let me just say, but you, you've covered all these with title, with, you know, letters, CNA, LPN, RN. But there are workers that are in these facilities that have no title, Correct. Yes, that can be the case. Um, right. So in some states, what we call a CNA is simply an unlicensed caregiver. Um, it depends on the type of the facility that they're in, but a, a caregiver can just be a person or a personal care attendant. Sometimes they're called that. Uh, those are the people that just sometimes sit with the residents. Sometimes right. those are paid um, by family members as private duty to sit with the resident, um, maybe keep them calm if they're a resident that particularly has an advanced stage of dementia um, and that requires total care. Well, I, I appreciate it because you, you, you've really painted the picture for our listeners of, of, of the, the possible um, employment uh, opportunities at some of these facilities, they go from licensed to being, you know, trained, licensed uh, degrees to to people who are just there as, as you say, a, a caregivers, which which are great. And 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 in most uh, what licensed facilities, there'll be ombudsmen's there, right? That you can speak to. Is that correct? Right. Um, so each state usually has what's called a long-term care ombudsman, right. and they are funded through the Older Americans Act. You're going to see the long-term care ombudsman mostly in skilled nursing facilities because those are certified by the federal government. Um, and those are people that often take complaints about quality of care and resident care. Um, there's a 1-800 number that each state has for long-term right. care ombudsman and also for its own adult protective services. They go in there. They investigate resident complaints. They often report to other departments, such as our department or um, Adult Protective Services, when they see an issue, uh, and they can also initiate an investigation. Right, and and a lot of and there the the information can be confidential too. I know absolutely. But the long term care ombudsman, if the resident has a concern, that resident's concern is kept confidential. That's correct. Well, now that we set the stage, we've got the the various types of facilities. We've got the different employment facilities. Um, Let's go over some of the the matters that that you can discuss. And obviously, we don't name names, but 
that have been brought to you and developed in the cases that you've heard about concerning um, uh, elder abuse, um, whether it's physical, financial, or uh, institutional? Well, I've certainly uh, had quite a few cases over <laughs> the years. I think uh, well over 300 cases that I've wow. done dealing with abuse, neglect, misappropriation, right. and exploitation. Um, I can tell you the first one that I ever had, which was probably the one that would be very interesting to your listeners. Uh, first case I ever had that was an abuse registry case. Um, now, when I say I have an abuse registry case, I actually have to go out to the facility and give that individual a trial at the mm. facility. And that's oftentimes very convenient because I have sometimes the victim, if they're competent and they're still alive, I have them to testify, and then I have staff members to testify and the administrator to testify. So that's very handy to do. But it's also very eye-opening to me as an attorney because I'm going out there into a licensed facility and I'm seeing the conditions of the facility. Sometimes I even get to go in the room where the abuse occurred Sometimes I have, well, all the time, I have evidence from the case. Sometimes I have physical evidence, and it gives you an overall visual picture. So in the first case that I ever had, I went out to this facility, and I was sitting in this tiny little conference room, and the respondent was sitting at the end of the table. The judge was on on the other end of the table, and I had the witnesses that would sit at the table as well. And the allegation was an allegation of physical abuse, where the certified nurse aide had hit the resident in the face with a coffee cup. That was the allegation. The patient had been a former homeless person. She was uh, potentially combative. She was in the facility for rehabilitation. She had been ill, had a long-term illness, and she was not supposed to have sweets. And she was in the kitchen. They were having a little break, and the respondent, who was um, the perpetrator, had been passing out graham crackers and she was sitting at the table and one resident didn't want her graham crackers so she gave the her graham crackers to the victim so the victim goes to start to eat the graham crackers and the aide grabs the victim by her wrist breaking her id id bracelet and saying basically you can't have these graham crackers and so they engaged in a little bit of an altercation now, of course, there's policies and procedures and training that each individual in a facility has to have about dealing with a resident when they get combative. And the appropriate procedure is to redirect and walk away. In this case, the perpetrator did neither of those things. It escalated. The patient threw the hot chocolate onto the perpetrator. The perpetrator then grabbed the cup, at least this is what was reported to us, and bashed the patient in the face with the cup breaking her nose. Wow. Now, it went a little differently, Joe, when I actually took the case to trial because when I called the, the perpetrator to the stand, I was walking her through the policies, and she admitted that she readily had admitted that she had had the training and that she knew better. And then when I asked her what had occurred, what had happened under cross-examination, she said, well, I didn't mess with any cup. I straight <laughs> up punched that patient in the face. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it was sort of like a Perry Mason moment for me because I was a little shocked that she had even admitted it. And she had an attorney, and her attorney was sitting there sort of open mouth across the table. And so then I went on and I pressed her further, and I was like, well, how did the, the patient get all these scratches on her face as well? And she said, well, when I punched her in the face, I had a lot of rings on. Unbelievable. Well, so, unfortunately for her, because she admitted to basically committing an assault 
patient. Right. Uh, not only was she placed on the abuse registry for abuse of a vulnerable person, but she was also criminally charged with uh, abuse of a vulnerable adult and convicted of a Class D felony in the state of Tennessee. Well, there's a good example. It was in one of the homes you regulated, and it was was it done by uh, certified a CNA? That, was she this woman, or was she a... Uh, Care, just a, a caregiver, non-licensed, the uh, perpetrator. Absolutely, yes. She was certified, and that's why she had to wow. go on the abuse registry wow. because of the virtue of her certificate. Wow, unreal. So that that was your first one. Do you have any other interesting ones dealing with the... Uh, well, absolutely, and I thought one that might be interesting for your listeners. Uh, we talked a little about earlier today about the home health cases, and I think that that is sort of an arena... Um, where especially if you've got a loved one that's receiving home health, it's always best to be careful and always check, like I said before, who you're hiring, even if that person is a licensed practitioner. Uh, for example, I had an elderly gentleman, and it was most unfortunate because he uh, was a former coal miner and had black lung disease. Mm-hmm. And he was receiving home health through an organization in East Tennessee. And the individual that was sent to his home was a licensed practical nurse, so she was a nurse. Right. And uh, the gentleman looked a bit of a character when I interviewed him, and apparently in his younger years he might have been a little bit of a ladies' man. <laughs> and so he, he likes the pretty nurses, I will say that. And so he had this young lady that came in as a nurse, and she admittedly um, took advantage of the situation. So what started happening, she had access to his checkbook, and she would sit in his lap and call him Grandpa. She admitted to this, and she would pay his bills, and so when she would pay his bills, she would pay her bills, too. So she paid off all of her credit cards. She paid off some bills that she had in collection. Um, She got this gentleman to buy her a diamond ring. She got him to buy her a diamond necklace and a nice sapphire ring, too, while she was at it. And then, um, since it was very difficult for her to get to her destination sometimes on time, she said she didn't have a very reliable vehicle. Then she took him to the car dealership and got him to buy her a $30,000 Buick. Wow. Wow. So he, uh, she wrote the check out, and he signed it. He says he doesn't remember signing it. Um, but nonetheless, there was a Buick Enclave that was purchased. He also paid for her to get a license in Florida um, so that she could go down there on vacation and they can go on a vacation together. So all in all, she probably got about $50,000 out of this elderly gentleman. Um, and then her coworkers found out. Her coworkers found out because the gentleman had a sister who would come in and review his finances about once a month, and she started finding these very strange checks. Um, so ultimately, the woman was fired from the personal care organization the home health organization, and uh, we pursued action against her once it was reported to us. I placed her on the abuse registry for misappropriation, which is theft, and financial exploitation because essentially she exploited this elderly gentleman to her gain, and then I also revoked her nursing license. Well, well. I think we'll go into more of these type cases. You know, we're about to end this session, but there's an example is check the checkbooks, have a loved one check it. But with that... We need to take our, our, our third break here and on the Safe Senior Hour, and we will be back uh, for our last session. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, 
but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to our last segment of the Safe Senior Hour uh, with Joe Gavallis. Today, our uh, our guest is, uh, we're very fortunate, to, by the way, to have her take the time to be with us, is uh, Caroline Tippins, Senior Associate General Counsel, <coughs> excuse me, with the Tennessee Department of Health. And um, we're, uh, we've been through uh, what Tennessee, how they address the various issues about a registry that they have, which is the gold standard. Uh, and now we're talking about actual cases that uh, Caroline has seen and, and, and experienced. And we're going through these cases so you listeners out there can see the type of, of, of abuses that go on. That, again, if you see something, report it. Elder abuse doesn't report itself. So if you see something, you're a loved one and you're suspicious, report it to the professionals. So, uh, with that, uh, Caroline, I'll go back uh, back with you, and we're talking about some cases. And um, first of all, you concur with that, you know, report it to a professional. Absolutely. I think if we don't know about it, we can't investigate it. Um, right. So if you, even if you have a concern or just a mere suspicion, I think that's very important to report. Um, every state is a 1-800 number, whether that be to the Tennessee Department of Health that investigates complaints and facilities or to Adult Protective Services that investigates cases in the community um, or to the long-term care ombudsman. There's many complaint numbers out there, um, and it is always best to report those concerns so they can be investigated appropriately. If you don't know, call 911 and call your local law enforcement. Tell them the situation, and they will certainly be able to either address it or pass it on to the appropriate uh, state or local or or federal officials, but it, you, you've got to tell somebody because absolutely you don't want to you, you don't want to go to bed at night and realize something happened to somebody and you had an inkling of it and you didn't tell somebody to try to help them. But we were talking about some cases and um, was a, an incredible example of financial exploitation, and that was by a uh, uh, LPN and this was excuse me at at, at home care situation right. Yes, that's correct. And, Joe, you pointed out very cognitively that it is so important to look at that individual's bank records and be really honestly involved in their care. If you've got a loved one that's receiving home health services, 
support to pay attention. Um, also, it's very important to monitor the whereabouts of valuables, not mm-hmm. only in the home, but also in a licensed facility. We've had many cases, and I can think of several which come to mind, where we've had loved ones that maybe have had dementia and have been in a licensed facility, and the family member has gone in and realized that grandmother isn't wearing her ring. Um, I've had at least three cases that I can think of that were theft in very large amounts. Um, Probably three patients that we had in one facility that we had an individual that would go in there specifically to the secured unit and would take the individual's ring. Um, finally, someone figured this out because grandmother had dementia, and she re- she kept pointing to her hand. Like, she couldn't articulate it, but she kept pointing to her hand because she knew something was missing. And so then the, the family member realized, oh, gosh, she's not wearing her rings, and reported it to the administrator. So then they started investigating further, and they found two other residents in the same unit that didn't have their rings either. Some of which were up to six thousand dollars a piece. Well, I think that I think uh, in, in talking to law enforcement, um, um, and, and I think it's great. My background: I'm a retired federal agent of thirty years, working organized crime and labor racketeering. You know, it. You know, people can tell you all sorts of things and describe it, but a picture saves all those words. So, what we're recommending. When you have somebody in a uh, and outside the home or even at the home, if you have a caregiver coming in, now with your cell phones, just take pictures of the rings of things of valuable and just have it somewhere because it, it means a lot to a police officer or, or a sheriff's deputy or a federal agent when you come in and say, not only my, my, my mother's rings were stolen, here's what they look like. And that Absolutely, helps. and you're 100% correct on that, Joe, because in this particular case, there were pictures of the rings, and they were actually able to recover them from a pawn shop. Right, right. We just had that situation here where they were able to go to the pawn shop and, and recover uh, some of the, uh, the, the, the stolen items that were out of a house. They had a caretaker come in, and, um, again, it was a little out of time. It wasn't like a big big deal and the other point is is try to balance that the uh, the checkbook we've had cases where people go in the back of the check checkbook and so if you look at if you're looking at checks that are like 100 through 125 well you'll see that the checks have been written were 101 102 but nobody unless you're balancing your your statement every month that you, nobody's looking that checks 122 123 were all stolen and used and, and so it's just, just one of the things to look at. And the same thing with credit cards. Look at credit cards, and if something looks suspicious, go ask for, for an accounting what that credit card bought. They had a case where a, 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 a younger person, a caregiver, not a CNA, but was uh, watching this over this gentleman and gave the uh, credit card to go shop. And uh, <clears throat> the gentleman was, was basically bedridden, didn't drink. And, yeah, there were bills for things that he asked for, but there also, on almost every time they went, there were just bottles of wine and beer bought for this uh, woman's uh, friends. So um, check it out. If it Again, if, it, if there's something that, that bothers you that doesn't look right, call the professionals and look at it here. Um, and you're right, Joe, about the debit card, especially. Um, if right. you've got a loved one in a facility or even in the home health setting or even just with a caregiver in the home, always check those debit card balances and those statements. 
um, because you're exactly right. Oftentimes, that is one of the things that is very quickly misappropriated that the resident might not know is missing. Well, I, I think, and the other issue is we see a lot of, and unfortunately, when we talk about finance, we, we, we talk about physical abuse, financial abuse, and institutional abuse. The financial abuse and, and things are means that things are stolen house, most of those are done by relatives, loved ones, or people that you trust. And so a lot of the issues that we're seeing, especially people who are having uh, uh, pain medication, is actual theft of, of medication uh, by a loved one or some caregivers uh, because they say, well, they don't need all those pills, and then the pills are taken. Have you uh, experienced any of that or heard of that? Absolutely. A threat diversion, that's what we call it, is a huge issue. Um, it also, in addition to diverting drugs, replacing drugs with substances that are not necessarily the correct substance. Um, I can think of a case that I had where they had an individual that had liquid morphine, which is one of the strongest drugs you can get. Um, Often you see patients that are hospice patients that have liquid morphine. In fact, they have opioid kits for hospice patients that have certain types of drugs in them because in the end of life when you have advanced cancer, it's very painful. Um, And I can think of a case that I had where they had an individual that replaced the liquid morphine with water. Wow. So certainly um, that is one thing that if you've got a loved one in hospice or a loved one that has pain medication, keep account of that pain medication, especially pills, because those are very small and people often don't notice when they're missing since they're too late. Keep account of those pills. If it is a liquid medication like I just mentioned, you know, before and after each shift, keep an eye on the bottle and see where the level is and know how much your loved one is supposed to be getting uh, because that is often an easy thing to take that someone might not know is missing right away. You you wouldn't want to think we have to worry about that, but unfortunately we do. Another issue that I know you brought up to me, and, and we're starting to see it in Georgia, uh, and again, we kind of addressed it a little while ago, the use of cell phones and taking pictures and videos in the in, in some of these care homes that that are very detrimental to the patient. Can you go into that? Are you familiar? Absolutely. I had a pretty infamous case here in Tennessee. Well, we've had two cases, in fact. Um, one that I had was in a facility where they had the caregivers dressed up in the resident's clothing and in sheets and they knew that this woman was terrified of ghosts. So they hid in her closet, and they hid. She had an empty bed in her room, and they hid in the closet, and they hid in the bed, and they jumped out at her dressed in these sheets and in her clothing and pretended they were ghosts. She was absolutely terrified, and the LPN, the licensed practical nurse, stood in the doorway of the room and recorded the video. Unbelievable. Of them terrifying this woman, pretending that they were ghosts. She grabbed a wire hanger and she was squatting at the res- at, at the, the caregivers um, because she thought she was under attack by ghosts. And um, she was screaming for them to call the police, to call 911 for someone to help her. They, of course, were laughing. They recorded the video and they uploaded it to Vine, which used to be the video sharing platform of Twitter. Right. And then they went and showed the video to everybody in the facility because they thought it was so hilarious. And as a result of that, they didn't do any work that night. So the people on the next shift came in and found all the other residents on the unit soiled and wet with dirty diapers and not being appropriately fed. Um, So that's what really alerted administration is they got complaints from the next shift that all these residents were dirty and nothing had been done. And so then they started investigating and found out that all these other people that were on duty that night had seen that video. Well, we have seen that, and unfortunately... 
people, they think it's funny, they'll take pictures of uh, people, especially with dementia, they'll, right. they'll put them in, in, in unbelievable positions and clothes and stuff, and then they'll download it and show it to all their friends. And this is, this is just sick, and, and this is clearly not allowed um, by state law. And uh, these, these kind of people need to be out of the business this is not that you're dealing with somebody's loved one and somebody who's going through the latter part of their life, and they don't need to be humiliated like this. And uh, but well, it's a, it's a resident rights issue. You know, residents right. have the right to privacy. They don't have to be photographed if they don't want to be. Um, and many facilities, in fact, have no social media policies, no photography, because it can also be a HIPAA violation if someone was to take a picture of the patient's information or the patient could be easily identified from the photograph. Um, in this particular case, the one that I just mentioned, the three caregivers, we put on the abuse registry, and we also put the uh, licensed practice nurse on the abuse registry and revoked her license wow. as well. well congratulations. Um, but it's an exploitation issue. Um, you can exploit someone by taking their picture. Right. Um, and you're also putting them out there for your own amusement, and, and you're violating their dignity. Well, um, I, I certainly agree, and it's an outrage, but... These are some of the things we're telling our listeners to look for and report it to the professionals, report it to, to law enforcement. This, nobody needs to go through this. It's a horrible situation. Um, we're, about to, we're, we're coming to the close of the last segment here. And, um, Caroline, can you give a contact email or number in case any of the listeners want to contact you that, that, uh, or some other state or other other uh, uh, country that might want to look and, and get some uh, um, information from you about the registry or about how you're doing things in Tennessee? Sure, absolutely. The link for our website um, to look up both the abuse registry and to vi- uh, verify an individual's licensure, and this will also give you the link to facilities as well, is HTTPS um, semicolon forward slash forward slash apps A-P-P-S dot health h-e-a-l-t-h dot t-n dot gov forward slash licensure and that will direct you directly to the website for the abuse registry and to look up uh, licensed healthcare practitioners to see if they have any discipline on their uh, licenses okay uh, do you do you uh, if people want to contact you you have a, an email contact or a number sure you want to leave I have an email they can email me at caroline C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E dot Tippins, T-I-P-P-E-N-S, at tn.gov. That's great. I, I, I do appreciate it, and I can't thank you enough for this. Uh, with that, um, we just had an interesting session today. We're going to have to uh, leave you all, and thank you, Caroline. And uh, this will end... Our show today on the Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis. Remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.